Thanks for joining us here at Faith Assembly for our weekly podcast. We're so excited you're tuning in this week. To learn more about our church, you can visit us online at myfaithassembly.org. Join us live at our 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 5 p.m. services, or connect with us on Facebook. Well, good morning. Welcome to our new series entitled 110%. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, today is where we're going to be taking a look. If there is a coach in the room, you know that you've said this. Every coach desires it. Every employer uh, longs for it. Every parent believes for it. And every, every voting citizen counts on it. And that is this, that people would give and live to 110%. 110%, it's what we, we desire going above and beyond. It's pushing the, the mark and reaching beyond. It's, it's moving the limits and pushing the limits that might seem to be around us. It's one thing to expect 110%, but do we practice 110%? That we're to live our lives at a way of living fully engaged, above the, the norm, above what would be the, the conditions around us to give even more more and to reach even further to live a life of 110%. Now, I realize hearing this, to give 110%, you may have heard this before, and you've, you've been challenged in this by someone who, is, who has called us to live this way, but we realize that giving 110% seems wonderful by concept or idea, but in reality, it's an impossibility. That I can only give 100%. I am limited. In myself, there's a limitation. I can only give 100%, 100 and even that sometimes is at best. How many know that even what we try to do 100% doesn't always strike at 100%? So trying to even reach above 100% to 110% is an impossibility. But I don't want us to see it today just from what would seem impossible. Because what we tend to do is we tend to identify things in our lives and we focus Focus on what seems impossible, and by focusing on what is impossible, we too often give ourselves permission to not even do what is possible. When we look at what's impossible, we see that it's so high, so far, that unfortunately we, we focus too much on what is impossible, and it causes us to have permission or excuse to not even do the possible. Peter on the day of Pentecost, and of course we recognize today is Pentecost Sunday, and Peter on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says that when he left the upper room, that he began to preach the gospel, and as a result, 300 people got saved in Jerusalem that day who gave there 3,000 people got saved in Jerusalem as a result of the, of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Something immeasurably more than what they could ever ask or think. Fifty-some days prior to that, Peter has now denied Jesus. He is at the place where he says to Jesus, he said, even if you die, I'll die with you. And Jesus says to Peter, you don't realize what you're saying because he says, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And here is Peter. He is denying Jesus, but 50-some days after, after this, after, after he denies Jesus, he is now in the upper room, and on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes upon him. In his own ability, he was not able to even stand for Jesus, but when he became filled with the power of God, when the Holy Spirit came upon him, he was not only able to stand, but he proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ, and as a result, 3,000 people were added to the church. How many believe that we serve a God who's able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ask or think? In myself, I'm not able to produce at best 100%. 
But with God, I can reach beyond the limitations. That's what we want to look at over the next couple of weeks. We want to challenge ourselves to push beyond the limitations that might be around us. To believe God for the more. To believe God for the unexpected. I'm believing this, that God would cause us here in Fayette County to see by the end of this year, by the end of 2017, that 3,000 people would come to know Jesus Christ here in Fayette County. How many know that seems audacious? That seems crazy. That seems big. It seems more than what we could accomplish. But we're not looking at what we can do. We want to say to God, God, help us to accomplish what we cannot do in ourselves, but to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit so that God can accomplish something great through us, that we would reach 110%. Do you believe that? Here's what I want to, here's a statement to just to, to sum up, and, or not to sum up, but just really be a focal point for us this series, and that is this, that when we honor God with what is possible, he will honor his name with what is impossible. When we honor Jesus with what is possible, he will honor his name with what is impossible. When we step out in doing the possible, it's the little things. When we honor God in the small things, when we do what is possible in the name of Jesus unto him, that when we honor him, he can take Take those little things and cause that to accomplish even more than we could ask, more than we can imagine, more than we can ever think. So we want to address the limitations and we want to leverage the possibilities to reach further and see God do even more in our lives, that our lives living to 110%. 100% is in itself, we're limited there because it's our abilities always fall short. But how many know that when we partner with the Holy Spirit, that we can reach beyond our own abilities and he accomplishes more than we could ever imagine. How many are looking forward and you want that kind of life? You want to live 110% in the power and the presence of God to see God push the limitations that may have been set around us in our world, in our lives, in our homes, whatever those things might be, to press beyond those limitations that are around us. In 2 Thessalonians, I want to kick this off today from this letter that Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica. And, and here he's writing the second letter. So in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, you can uh, turn your Bibles there or, or open up version, follow along, and uh, you can also find an event on there. And uh, in just a moment we'll read that. But let me just, just tell you what's going on here. Paul has written one letter already, 1 Thessalonians. He writes one letter, and the first letter that he writes to the church in Thessalonians is this to encourage them. He's writing from Corinth and he wants to encourage them to live pure before the Lord, to, to live, live in such a way that's honorable before God. He ends his first letter with this encouragement. He says to them, live for God in such a way that is honorable and please God. And to encourage them, he addresses as well what we call the rapture of the church or the second coming or, or the, the, the coming of Christ for the church. And of course, he's, he's addressing this and he brings encouragement to those who, who have lost loved ones, those who have, who have been affected in, in life's difficulties, and he wants to encourage them. He says, be encouraged in this. We will not all sleep. But we all be changed in the twinkling of an eye. And he says that the dead in Christ will rise first. He says this in his letter to be an encouragement to them. Now, how many have ever noticed or had moments where something you've said was heard, but it was misunderstood, and what you meant to say isn't exactly what they heard, and as a result, something got missed? Paul is now writing a second letter to address what got missed. He's writing the second letter because when he said the first time to them, hey, I want to encourage you to live honorable to God, please God. And here's an encouragement to you. He's coming for us. We're not all going to sleep. We don't grieve as those without hope. But we're going to see Jesus and we're going to be reunited with those who, who have been taken to heaven. And we have this hope. So he says live for God and here's an encouragement to help you do it. 
But when he ended that, that letter with that, some of the people in Thessalonica who read that who began to receive that as a word of saying, oh, Jesus is coming back, we're waiting on Jesus, so let's quit working, let's just go camp out on a hillside and wait for Jesus to come back. And Paul's saying, no, that's not what I meant. Paul said, I didn't mean for you to quit working and just wait for Jesus to come back. I meant to encourage you to keep working because Jesus is coming back, because we have this hope. I wanted this to be an encouragement for you. But for some of them, they misunderstood what Paul was saying. And instead of being encouraged to work, some of them became encouraged to just sit around and wait for Jesus to come back. And Paul is addressing this issue in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We read some of this, but the whole, the whole book of the second letter that Paul writes is addressing this, saying, hey, you need to work. You can't just sit around and wait. We've got to be involved in what it is God has for us. I'm going to read from chapter 3, verse 6. And if you would stand with me this morning as we look at this word together. Starting with verse, verse 6. Paul says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, we give you this command in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It got serious. He said, we give you this command in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Stay away from all believers who live idle lives and don't follow the teachings that they've received from us. For you know that you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you. We never accepted food from anyone without paying for it. We worked hard day and night so we would not be a burden to any of you. We certainly had the right to ask you to feed us, but we wanted to give you an example to follow. Even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work, and meddling in other people's business. Well, it still goes on today. We command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and work to earn their own living. As for the rest of you, dear brothers and sisters, never get tired of doing good. Take note of those who refuse to obey what we say in this letter. Stay away from them so that they will be ashamed. Don't think of them as enemies, but warn them as you would a brother or sister. Man, this is so encouraging. Thank you, Paul. Wonderful, wonderful words. So, Father, I pray today that you would help us to hear these words. And God, I pray that you would give us ears, Lord, to allow them to speak to the part of our heart that needs to be spoken to. Lord, do in us what you desire to do. And we ask this in Jesus' name. If you agree with that prayer today, would you just say amen? amen. And amen. And on your way to being seated, just tell someone around you, don't be lazy. Don't be lazy. Some of you had too much fun with that. I saw a lot of moms taking advantage of that moment right there. I don't know about you, but for me, the, um, the, this whole idea of living to 110%, uh, for me, I, I can't help but it has a sports theme for me. Uh, giving it everything you've got. Maybe it's from playing baseball and football and coaches that would always tell us, you know, uh, uh, practice, you, you practice the way you're going to play, give it everything you've got, put it all on the line, and 110% go above and beyond. 
We could say that today to be an encouragement and a hurrah, you know, let's all give the best we've got. But the best we've got will always fall short. The best we've got will never accomplish anything in itself. The only way it can accomplish something is with the anointing and the work of God in it. Without the, without the, the Lord, the, the, we build the house and we labor in vain. We said that recently. But we need the work of the Holy Spirit. We need God to be at work in our lives. And we have this privilege of partnering with God to do the work that he's called us to do. This whole idea of giving 110%. So I don't want to have just this picture of challenging us over the next couple of weeks. Just do your best and give the best you've got. But instead I would say this perspective that we would dedicate the best we've got to God. So that God can take what we have and take the little and cause something greater to come from the little that we have. Because even what I have, it's small in the scheme of what God is able to do and what he can create. He can create something out of nothing. I mean, he's powerful. Does he really need me? Does he even need me to do what he wants done or desires to do? And the truth of the matter is he could use anybody, but he gives me the privilege and gives us the opportunity to partner with him to see him do things in our world and in the world around us. That we would desire to be a part of that. I'm uh, uh, this sports theme of, of giving it the best we've got and, and dedicating the best we've got to God. I want to just share this first uh, message today, and I want to title it this, The Breakaway. The Breakaway. The Breakaway is that place that an athlete, when they separate from a defender and they break into an open space or, or a runner breaks free from the crowd or the pack and he separates from the pack and, and begins to move away, it's The Breakaway. One of the things I believe that becomes a limitation to us experiencing or or a limitation to us experiencing the 110% that God would have for us in life is just simply this, a complacency that we become so familiar with our circumstances and surroundings around us that we become complacent in life and we live among the norm and the way things are rather than breaking free from what has been common or breaking free from what has been the norm and the things around us. That we would break away if we're going to push the limits, we, we need a breakaway. Let me ask you today, what is it that you maybe need to break away from? What is it some thoughts that you need to break away from, some habits that you need to break away from? But it might even be this, that we need to break away from people, some people. This is what Paul is addressing here. He's saying these words to us, and, and if you recognize that the majority of our lives are influenced by the people we hang around. The habits that we have, the way, that we, the way that we act, the, the things that we do, is affected by the people that we hang around. We like to be around people that make us feel comfortable. And in fact, we probably would rather be around people who make us feel comfortable more than challenge us. We'd rather be around people who are more like us and make us feel okay about being the way we are and even staying the way we are. But Paul makes this statement, and I, I, I can't, we can't hide it or cover it up or, or pretend it's not there. Paul makes this direct statement. He says this, I command you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says these words, I command you, dear brothers and sisters, stay away or create space between or break away from. Stay away from all believers who live idle lives and don't follow the teaching that they have received from us. We can't hide from this. We can't flip the page and act like Paul didn't say it or try and pretend it's not in the scriptures, but what he's saying is you've got to be careful of the people you surround yourself with. 
If we're going to allow ourselves to push the limits and live to 110%, making a commitment to God and dedicating ourselves to God so that God can take our 100% or our limitations and do even more with that, it's going to be a matter of us breaking through the complacencies that are created and the things that might be created in our lives. This separation coming away from what is in our lives. And in the sports world, it becomes that, that breakaway of, of moving to an open space to advance. At some point in life, if we're going to push the limits, we need to break away from the crowded places and step into the open spaces. We need to move away from the crowded places, the crowded places of, li- of life, and step into the open spaces. That, that sometimes it's breaking away from what has been around us and, and the, the attitudes and things that might be around us and breaking away from those things to step into the open spaces of life. This is why we're calling our church starting tomorrow to a five days of prayer and fasting. Five days of prayer and fasting. I don't know what that would be for you, that you might fast, but here's been my prayer over the last couple of weeks, and it's been in the bulletin. You heard on the announcements, and we are opening the sanctuary on morning, noon, and night for the next five days from Monday through Friday. And it'll be open three days or three times a day, and we're asking you to come. If you're not able to come for the whole hour that it's open from 6 to 7 a.m. or 12 to 1 p.m. or 7 to 8 p.m., if you're not able to come the whole hour, that's okay. My prayer is this, that 100% of us would give at least 15 minutes to come and spend time and to pray before God. We've created a prayer guide that we're going to each day just pray from, and it's taken right from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, the beginning part of the text we just read, Paul says in there, this is my prayer request. Paul says, would you pray? And he lists these things to pray for. And so we put this in a prayer guide. It's going to be available each day that the the sanctuary is open, or you can go online and download it. But it's a prayer guide for you to pray along with us, and maybe you'd fast a meal, whatever it is that God would put in your heart. But we're we're saying this before God. God, we want to lean in to see 110% here at Faith Assembly, that we would reach beyond what seems possible, that we would reach to places that seem beyond the order to see and believe you to do something great and significant in our life. I know the things that we want to see God do seem great. They seem mighty. We believe God can do it. It's one thing to get excited to believe that God can erase or bring down the drug epidemic in Fayette County. We can believe that, sing that, pray about it, talk about it. We can talk about how God wants to break chains of poverty over people's lives. We can, we can talk and sing and believe that God wants to heal dysfunctional homes and, and that God wants to just take away the spirit of religion and allow people to know God personally. We can say those things, get excited about those things, but at some point there's a big difference between believing God can do something of significance and asking God and stepping in and saying, God, help me to trust you for the significant things that you want to do in our world. But there it is. We look at this way. What do we do? I just got the report again today. Another person on Friday was found from a drug overdose. I get angered every time. I say, God, this is why we've got to do something. And I'll be honest with you. I even said to the person that shared this unfortunate event with a a, a friend of theirs that they experienced. They've been trying to get clean and trying to to get out of the, the epidemic and the issue that they're in. But unfortunately, they fell back into it. And this time, it cost them their life. I look at that and I say, God, what in the world can we even do about it? And God's not asking me to figure this out. He's just asked me to be faithful in the possible. And he'll take care of the impossible. 
It seems impossible to think that we could see these things happen or what could take place. It would seem impossible. It's one thing to talk about it, pray about it, and, and, and believe for it. It's another thing now to say, God, what would you have us lean into? What would you have us do? Because when we do what is possible, God will do what is impossible. Believing God for those things. We're asking you to come and pray with us over these next five days. We're praying and fasting as a, as a leadership team, as a staff, and as a church body. Asking God, help us to hear and to know what it is. We want your, your voice to, to direct us, to guide us. Help us to know what it is you're calling us to do. Because we believe God's got, God, God's got even more in store for us in this day that we're living in. The greatest days of faith assembly are not the days that, were, that, that it was started the days that God has ordained and called for the next one after this one and the next one after that and the next one after that. It's the greatest day because there's someone else that needs to be added to the body of Christ. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people got saved. I said that recently in another church, and in my spirit I thought, why in the world should we not believe God to save 3,000 people here in Fayette County, not only at Faith Assembly, but across all the churches? What if all the churches saw in the, this year a 3,000 3, increase of people coming to know Jesus Christ, that we saw that all across the churches of Fayette County? How many know that's called revival? It's called a work and a move of God. And we believe that God is able to do those things. But God will do the impossible when we step out and trust God with the possible. When we begin to believe that. I want to ask you and challenge you to come and pray with us to be a part of that. Because we're asking God to push the limits of things that are going on around us. The stuff that would become the norm. What are some limits that need pushed in your life? What are some thoughts that need to be challenged in your life? What are some attitudes that need to be confronted or challenged and things that might need to be, be uh, uh, broken, broken in your life, a, a breakaway? If we're going to have a breakaway, it requires us to have a different perspective about us, that we've got to look at things differently. I want to give you three things this morning, and, and I would encourage you to write them down. If you take notes, write them down. If you don't take notes, write them down. It just be an encouragement to you. That's why we put envelopes in the front of the, uh, just kidding. I want to give you some things today that if we're going to have a breakaway, would you first admit in your life there's some things that have just become so common and ordinary that we get comfortable just doing life the way we do life and we no longer allow ourselves to be confronted and challenged to step out of where we've been, to be pushed to a new place. Here's number one. If we're going to have a breakaway, if we're going to push the limit of, of complacency in our life, number one is this, that we, we have to be able to see in our lives the patterns that are going around us, on around us. Number one, we need to see the pattern. The reason something is happening in your life is because of the patterns. And the reason something isn't working in your life is because of the pattern. The patterns of our lives, if we need, to, we need to recognize that there are patterns that are affecting us, that, that the, the issue is this, that when we get caught up in the pattern and we just keep going the way that it is, complacency is when we no longer re recognize that there's a concern or an issue that's around us. When we become so commonplace and becomes such an ordinary thing around us that we become accustomed to the way things are, that it's just the way it is, and we're no longer challenged to believe or to step into a different pattern because it's just the way it is. It's the way that it's been going. What are the idle thoughts or, 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 or ideas or things in your life or habits that need to be challenged or you need to break away from? It might even be people in your life, idle people that you need to break away from and idle things that you need to, to have a set free, a, a moment of coming away from. What is it to be idle? 
Here's simply this, that if we're idle, it means something that is working but not producing. It's something that has the the ability, but it's not producing. It's not accomplishing anything. It's idle. It's sitting in motion. Here's the pure or without motion. Here's the, the perfect example. Get in your car, turn it on, and just sit there. Everything that has the potential to move does not move because it's idle. It's sitting still. It's, it's in idle motion. It's the whole idea of a traffic jam. It's traffic, a congested roadway that when you're sitting in traffic, how many love sitting in traffic? How many recognize that it's just the grace of God that allows you to sit in traffic and God is teaching you patience? How many just love that when you get caught in traffic and it's just a moment to settle your mind and just spend time in the presence of the Lord? How many know the joy of what I'm talking about? Yeah, me either. I don't know it. There's nothing worse than sitting in traffic. Having a plan and a, and a desire but not going anywhere. And you can sit in that place and here's the problem of being stuck in traffic. You know you have a place to go but you can't do anything because of everyone else around you. This is the perfect picture and illustration of an idle life. I cannot move because everyone else is around me. I can't go forward because there's a car behind me or in front of me. I can't move to the other lane. There's a car beside me. I can't go anywhere because I'm crowded by cars. You felt that in the natural. There's a person who goes to this church. He, he works in Pittsburgh, and he starts at 8.30 in the morning at Pittsburgh, and he leaves for work every morning at 5 a.m. His reason for leaving at 5 a.m., he told me, he said, I was tired of sitting in traffic, so I leave at 5 a.m. so that I can get to my office before I even have to start. He said, I'd rather beat the traffic and sit in my office and have time to spend with God than to just sit in traffic and know I'm wasting time and not able to go anywhere. What he said was, I had to change a pattern. Because I could keep living my life stuck in traffic, being idle, and saying, well, the traffic. It's all the traffic's fault. It's the person behind me. It's the person in front of me. It's the person beside me. It's the people that surround me. I've got an issue. I can't move because of what's around me. You're never going to move unless you change the pattern. Maybe you need to find another route. Maybe you need to leave a little earlier. Maybe you need to change something about what's going on. But if you just stay idle, then all you've done is thought about what could happen, but never walk into what God has for you to, to, to experience. What pattern is it that needs to be changed in your life? What pattern is it that needs to be, needs to be challenged and, and moved in a place so that we're not just wasting our time? I can talk and believe that God wants to do something significant in Fayette County, but at some point, it's time to be done talking and start stepping into it. At some point, it's time to stop dreaming about what could be and start taking action to what God is called to be. I've got to change a pattern somewhere. You might be in a relationship that has tension. You say, God, this relationship, I don't know that there's any hope. And you might think that the small thing you can do would have no no significance because how could I do a small thing and it makes such a big difference? Here's the thing. Trust God with the small thing you've got and watch God work miracles when you begin to change the pattern. Begin to change the pattern. Begin to change the way that you look at that, the way you think about that, the the pattern. You've got to come at a different way, come at a different point so that we're not just spinning our wheels or just sitting idly, but that we're moving. If you don't recognize the patterns, you'll forfeit the possibilities. If you do not recognize the patterns of your life, you will forfeit the possibilities of what God wants to accomplish in your life. You've got to acknowledge And see the patterns. What are the patterns that are taking place in your life? And making sure that we're not caught in the pattern of just being idle. You might need to find another route. Leave a little early. Let me give you number two. 
Number two is we need to see the potential. Breaking away requires us to see the open space. And many of you know or you know that my wife uh, played collegiate field hockey, and so she would tell you that the, the only way to advance the ball or to move towards the goal was for someone to break away and to move into an open space so that the ball could be passed to that person. But if you're in the crowd, that ball can't be, be, be moved effectively, but you've got to break away and come to an open space that when we see the potential, we begin to see the open space and the things that are around us. Are you allowing yourself to see the potential of what God wants to accomplish are we just living in the moment of every day and just going through what we have to go through? Here is one of the places in life that we've got to be careful is that we don't just wake up today to do what we did yesterday, to go to sleep and wake up and do it again tomorrow. To just keep doing the same thing. To just keep going and missing the potential of what God has today. The potential of what it is that he wants to accomplish today. Do you see the potential of what you're creating or just the busyness of what you're doing? Another aspect of 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 being idle is this, busyness that's meaningless. Meaningless busyness. That's idle, that we're, we're busy, but we're, we're just busy, but we're not creating anything. I've got one of these things in my life, and I've recognized this. I, I thank God for it. I have learned to declutter my life over the last probably three years of my life. I am not as busy as I've been because I found myself recognizing that it always sounded good to say, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy. You know what that did? It emphasized my ability, my working, and what I can accomplish. But how many know that what I can do is only limited? But whenever I don't live my life just according to my busyness, but now I believe this, this is what I'm really seeing, is that I am working less than I did when I first got here, but we're accomplishing a lot more than than we are when I got here. Here's why. Because we're leveraging the people and the team and knowing what I'm called to do, what I can do, and it becomes now the potential of what we can accomplish together. But when I just become busy and do what I can do, I can accomplish a task. But whenever I see the potential, it's not just what needs to be done in the moment. It's now setting things up so that there can be a movement. It sets things up for there to be a movement. Do you see the open spaces? This past Friday, we graduated one of our children, one down and two to go. I told him on Friday, we celebrated afterwards, went for dinner. I paid for his meal. We had a great time. And I, woke, I, stu- I stood up from the table and I said, congratulations. From this point on, bring your wallet to every meal. You're on your own now. <laughs> I'm serious. You know how many meals I've bought for him? <laughs> kind of serious. But raising children is more than just getting them through school. It's setting them up so that they can have what they need for life and for godliness. It's having a different perspective of how we live our life. That today is setting things up. It's setting things in motion. Paul said these words. He said, I could have come to you. In verse 8 and 9, I believe it is. He said, I could have come to you and said, hey, we need food. Feed us. He said, but I didn't do that because I wanted to be an example to you. Paul said, I could have. I had every right to be the one that you feed. Because Paul said, I'm the one who's bringing the word. He uses in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he gives this, this, this picture as well. He's talking about people who, who aren't willing to work. And he said, if a farmer takes care of a field, shouldn't he be able to eat what he gets? And if, if the shepherd takes care of the sheep, shouldn't he be able to receive some of the milk? Paul's saying in the same way, I'm, a, I'm a sharing the gospel, I should be able to receive and get food from you. He said, but I'm not doing that. He said, because I'm not wanting to just get fed in the moment. I want to be an example so there can be a movement. 
Paul says, I want to give you an example. I want to be an example to you. I could have gotten food in the moment I'm hungry, I need food. It's more than just filling the need. It's about seeing the perspective and allowing things to be set in motion, to see the potential. Are you prepared for retirement? Because I know I grew up sometimes hearing preachers say things like this. Well, Jesus is coming back soon, so max out your credit cards and let the Antichrist pay for it. That's dumb. Now, I, some of you are like, where did you hear that? I won't tell you. I, don't, I just remember preachers coming through when I was a kid growing up and some evangelists. I don't think they're evangelists anymore. I don't know that they're. But we would say some dumb things. And this is kind of what was going on in Thessalonica. They're saying, hey, Jesus is coming back, so we'll just sit up here and wait for Jesus to come back. And the only problem is the longer you wait, you run out of food. Well, who's going to feed me? Hey, uh, I need food. Now they become a burden to other people because they're not carrying their weight. They're not being responsible. They're not doing what they were meant to do. They're not living their life intentionally. And this, this whole idea of seeing the potential to not just see the need that's in front of us, but are you planning for the future? Do you have good plans in place for your future? Are you setting things in, in, in motion and allowing things to be more than just this moment in time? Because how many know that if you make decisions according to your stomach in the moment, you always make poor decisions? But whenever you think forward, when you think about implications, when you begin to think of the potential that's in front of us, the potential. I've already started to live in my mind and go to places to say, God, you want us to do something significant at Faith Assembly. At what point do we do something different whenever so many people are coming to Faith Assembly and are getting saved and we don't have enough services to hold more people? What do we do after that? Some of you are like, my goodness, who do you think you are? Trust me, I've asked myself the same question. But yet kept saying, God, I know it's your word and it's your promise, it's your power, it's your spirit. If I just do what, what's possible, you'll do the impossible. I wake up every morning. What gets me going up every morning is this, the love for Jesus Christ, the love for my family, and the love for Fayette County. To see Jesus Christ reach a world that is broken, to reach a world that is lost and empty, and to not just say I love this county, but to say, God, what is it that I can do to step in? What can we lead to move into a place to do something of significance? So I ask myself, God, what's it look like when we start reaching drug addicts and people that come? What's it look like? Because I can tell you it's not going to look like it used to look. It's not going to be like it used to be. It's not going to be the same thing. We're not going to be able to all sit in the same room and know everybody and sing the same songs and do the same things and be like it's always been because at some point if you're going to reach more, it's, it means you got to bring more people. It means there's more things. you got to make more room. It means it can no longer feel like the family it always felt like because now we got to make room and branch off and become in a place of reaching more people. We might not even be able to meet in the same place and say, God, what's it look like for you to do something more and something bigger? I don't know what it is, but help me to honor you with the possible because you'll take care of what seems impossible. It seems impossible to think that God could do something that far. I can think it for God's angle. But here's where the real hard part for me is not believing God can do it. Can I tell you what my real struggle is? My struggle is not believing God can do it. My struggle is believing God can use me to do it. That's my issue. My issue, I, God can do it all day long. My issue is not believing God can do it. My issue is believing God can do it through me. Or that God can use me to be a part of it. I don't know if anybody else out there feels the way I feel sometimes. Like, God, I believe you want to do something big. And there are times I want to share dreams with people. Like, if I say that, they're going to think I'm an idiot. Or they're going to think I'm conceited. Or they're going to think there's something, you know, what, what is it? I wonder if that's where it means to break away from people. Because if I limit myself to what everybody thinks about me, I might limit 
and miss out on stepping into the open space that God designed for me. Because I'm trapped in who do I think I am? How do I know? I don't know what this is. But being able to break away from those things to believe God for the potential. Are you believing God for the potential in your life? Does this make sense to anybody? What is the potential? I don't want this to be a kumbaya, you can do it. Just believe in yourself. Yay, you're a graduate. You made it. Go dream and do what you want. Oh, you're going to have to work. You're going to have to trust God. You're going to have to believe God. You're going to have to lean upon his provision. I'm not telling you to do what you can do. I'm telling you to honor God with what you can do and watch God do what you can't do. That's what we're challenged with. That's what we're saying. God, we want to step in to those things that you would have for us, that we would see the potential. As a leader, I often challenge our team to think this way. And here's what I challenge our team to. Don't be people who do be a people who make. It's a big difference between just doing and making. Here's what I mean. Something needs done, you can do it. And you can get it done. But if you make an opportunity to teach someone how to do something, now you've multiplied your efforts and now you've done something more than what you can accomplish on your own. Yeah, you can stand there and say, task done, check the mark, I got this finished. I can feel good good about accomplishing something. I got something done. But Paul said it's not about just getting fed. It's about being an example so that people can follow. I want to be an example of what needs to be done. I want to set something in motion, set something beyond this moment, beyond this place. He's saying to be an example that we, we, we have to be people who, who don't just wait to do or who just do things, but that we make things. You can wait to get time. But how many know there's a difference between waiting till you get time and making time? And a lot more happens when you make time, when you make room, when you make space for this to look with the potential of what could happen, the potential of what could take place. And I believe this becomes a difference. And I know over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking to people from a leadership point of view. Because I believe you're all leaders. Every single one of us here are leaders. And as a leader, there comes a point where it's good to be a doer. It's good to be a doer. But we don't just need doers, we need leaders. Don't get me wrong, we need doers. But we need some doers to lead some more doers and get out of the way to make room for more people to do stuff that needs to be done. A number of months ago, I was praying and some, this picture of, of what I saw for our church. And so I'm just going to tell you how I saw this for the church as I was praying. And the prayer was this, or I was asking God, God, help us to step into what you have for us and, and lead us. And I try to just, you know, God, help us to be ahead of what it is you want uh, not ahead of you, but help us be, be always thinking of what you have next, what it is you're doing. I knew in my spirit, and I shared it with our team, shared it with our, our, our leadership team and our staff. And that is this, that we are heavy on the backside. Here's what I mean. We're heavy with a bunch of people in the back, ready to respond to the unexpected. But we don't have enough people at the front of the boat ready to lead with expectation. We've got a lot of doers in the back of the boat who are ready to bail out water and ready to respond to whatever crisis and ready to just be there. I got this. I'll do this. Something happens, hey, I'll pick it up. I'll do it. We've got a lot of people at the back of the boat ready to do what is, unex what is unexpected. But in this new step where we're going as a church, we need more people at the front of the boat who will start leading with expectation. It's not enough to just respond to the unexpected. I thank God when there's a mess, someone's ready to clean it up. I thank God when there's people in place or there's things, they'll just, hey, I'll do that. 
I'll just jump in there. I'll make that happen. It sounds good to have a bunch of people who are just ready to jump in. You need that. You need that. But if we're really going to step into open spaces, we need more people to not be on the back waiting to deal with with the unexpected. We need more people to be at the front ready to lead with expectation. Ready to lead, not for what might happen, but ready for it to lead into what we know God has spoken and ordained and our promise. How many know there's a difference between the two? I know not everybody's going to shift from the back to the front, but if we as a church are going to move into the new things that God has for us, it means that we're going to have to separate from where we've been and come into a new place. I hope I'm not scaring anybody. I'm challenging you today. Say, hey, maybe you need to shake some complacency in your life and get out of the back seat and start coming to the front. Get out of just the I'm here, I'll respond to what needs done, you need me to do something, I'm here, but I don't want to lead anything. Here's the problem with that. You have the benefit of doing something, but you've missed out on the opportunity to invest in somebody because the real thing of what we accomplish is not getting the job done, it's raising up people. Let me jump into what number three is. Number one is we've got to see in, in the opportunities that are around us, we've got to see the pattern, we've got to see the potential. Here's the last one. We've got to see the purpose. Your purpose, we'll say this over and over again, your purpose is not the seat you sit in. The purpose is the person you're sitting with. Your purpose is not the job you're doing. It's the person you're doing that job with. Your purpose, we say to people here at Faith Assembly, your position is not designed or identified by the title, but is identified by the person, the first name of the person you're leading that we connect, that we speak into people's lives, that we build in this place of purpose, that we carry out purpose that God would have for us. Here, unfortunately, what happens in this text, we read in in Thessalonians and in 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, hey, we'll not all sleep, but we'll all be resurrected. And so don't grieve as those without hope, but know that we have hope in Jesus Christ. So because we have that hope, keep on working, keep on pressing on. But unfortunately, some of them heard the good news and the comfort and said, oh, good, Jesus is coming back, so let's just wait for him to get here. Paul says, wait, that's not what I meant. Not what I said. I didn't mean that. We've got work to do. We've we've got purpose, and here's the purpose. is all wrapped up in this. Your purpose is to point other people to Jesus Christ. That's the purpose. At some point, we want you at Faith Assembly to come and experience God for what God needs to do in your life. But at some point as we grow, it's no longer about us. It becomes about Him and about lost people who need to hear Him. That it becomes about us ministering and sharing and bringing other people along. Paul says these words and they're sitting on their hands waiting for Jesus to come back and they took some food with them, but guess what? Jesus didn't come back in the time frame that their food lasted. So now they're without food and they're going around, hey, you have some food for me? I'm just waiting for Jesus to get back. I I quit my job. I'm just waiting for Jesus to come back. I quit plowing my field. I'm waiting for Jesus to come back. Can I take yours? Can I have yours? Paul says, we didn't come to be a burden to you. Paul said, no, you've got to, if you don't work, you don't eat. You've got a job to do. And in that job, you're not just feeding your belly. When you go to work, you're influencing your world for the kingdom of God. You're not just getting food to feed your belly. And here's unfortunate. Here's what the church became for some people. For some people, let's just wait for Jesus to get back and let's get fed and let's get our bellies filled and let's just 
wait for Jesus to get back. Be careful that that doesn't become church for us. But that we engage in the work. You have a job and you're a carpenter. Your job isn't just to build houses and get a paycheck. Your job is to show what it means to live like Jesus Christ in a world that has not yet seen him. Your job is just your excuse or means to be in the world to shine the light of Jesus Christ. If God calls you into ministry, don't ever quit your job to enter ministry. Because if we all quit our jobs to just do church things, how many know we'll miss the real job that God has called us to do? I've said to myself in places of saying, God, if I can be more effective in the workplace, I'd rather quit a full-time preaching job and go to, an, to a workplace and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if this is just about having church, my job is not, I'm not here just to do church and, and to just feed people. My job and my hope is that we can challenge people to reach their purpose. Reaching people to reach their purpose to which God has called us. That we would shine for Christ in a dark place. That we would accomplish the work that God has for us. Is that alright? I shared in first service and our evangelist, Tim, said, just let it go. Share it with all you got in the second service. So here I go. Are you ready? Yet I hear that some of you, this is the same text, some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and meddling around in other people's business. We command you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, settle down and work to earn your own living. As for the rest of you, dear brothers and sisters, never get tired of doing good. So if you're not working, man, get to work. And if you are, man, don't get tired. Take note of those who refuse to obey what we say in this letter. Stay away from them so that they will be ashamed. Don't think of them as enemies, but warn them as you would a brother or sister. Listen to what he said. He said, stay away from the believers who have become complacent and idle in their life. And they're not going anywhere with Jesus direct statement, here I go. If you've not been challenged to go further in Jesus Christ, it's because you're hanging with the wrong people. If you've not been challenged to grow in your devotional life, to go in your prayer life, to grow in a place of experiencing more of God, you're hanging with the wrong people. And you can even find the wrong people in church. You can find the wrong people in church who just like doing church. But they've not been challenged. Let me ask you, how's your passion for Jesus Christ? Because if you've lost the desire to go after God, it might be that you've gotten so good at just being comfortable with the people that make you feel good about what you do. Well, wasn't that a good service? Didn't we have a good church? Wasn't that a good song? What drives you? Let's just come back next week and let someone else feed us. Are you growing? Listen, he said, stay away from those believers. Not everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, or not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will he enter into the kingdom of God. So a number of years ago now, I felt the stir in my spirit again. There's a line being drawn. The sheep and the goat are being separated. Now, I don't say that. I, here's what I mean. I, I do believe this, that as we step into the open places that God has for us, not everybody will go along. Not everybody will come. Not everybody will come because you know, I didn't sign up for that. I didn't. No, 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 no. I, I just want the, the, the combo Christianity where I get to pick my sides. I want, I want the combo meal where I get to pick what I, what I want. And, but I want to say today, here's what Paul, you can't hide this. 
This is what Paul said. I command you, stay away from them so that they will be ashamed. Not condemned. He said not as enemies, but as brothers and sisters. So can I be your brother today and tell you, hey, what are you doing? Hey, why are you sitting in the back? Not, I don't mean like, that's mean, that's mean where are we? Totally just kidding. I mean just in the pursuit of God. Are we just coming and waiting and God says, I want to give you vision. I want to give you open spaces. I want you to dream. I want to, want to lead you in a place you've never gone before. I want you to step into what I have for you. Let me go to Hebrews 10 and I'll wrap this up. But notice he says here, let them be ashamed, not to condemn them, but to confront them. And how many know you condemn your enemy, but you confront your brother? I would not be a good brother to you if I didn't confront you, but here's the problem. We don't like being confronted. We don't like being confronted. The moment somebody confronts me, my wall goes up. Who do you think you are to confront me? That's another sign of complacency in your life is when you don't allow yourself to be confronted with what you need to hear. I love you. I'd like Pastor Kyle to come now and preach the rest of this sermon. Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to pray. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 23. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another, especially now, that the day of his return is drawing near. Let us encourage one another, especially now because the day of his return is drawing near. Here he says, let us think of ways to motivate one another. But here's what the King James says. Spur one another. Do you know what the word spur means? I'll tell you what the word spur means. Spur means to incite or to irritate. Hey, hey. Hey, come on. Hey, 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 come on, come on. Hey, come on. If you come to church and you only ever feel good but never get confronted with the truth of God's word, you might want to make sure you're reading the right Bible or going to the right church. <laughs> but if you're coming here, I hope we're good. Hey, 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 let me spur you. Preston, I'm going to get you good right there, buddy. Here, turn around, turn around. It's like a back massage, man. There you go. There you go. Feel good? I'm going to spur you. It's my job to spur. Not just mine. It's all of us. Hey, husbands, spur your family unto God work. Goodly, God works and goodly, goodly things and, you know, goodly. To good deeds and good works to the things of God. Man, spur one another. The word means to irritate sometimes. When was the last time you were pleasantly irritated because you didn't want to hear that but you knew you had to hear it and because you had to hear it now you got to do something about it. 
was the last time you've been irritated in a good way? I mean, I know you get irritated easily. I'm not talking about that stuff. I mean, I'm not talking about, you know, you easily get irritated. Ah, the kids are loud. I get irritated. I get irritated by this. I get ir- I'm talking about when was the last time you got irritated by something good? Hey, you've not been reading your Bible. I'm not condemning you. I'm confronting you. Because here's what would happen. Oh, you can't condemn me. I'm in Christ. I'm a new creature. You can't condemn me. Listen, I'm not condemning you. I'm confronting you. And if you know what love is, you allow yourself to be confronted by the truth you need to be confronted with. If it were not love, it's this ain't this 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 classic story I heard before that a kid is playing in the dry or pl- playing in the road, and all of a sudden a Mack truck is coming down the road, and the neighbor looks at the kid in the middle of the road. And the neighbor says, oh, it's not my child. I wouldn't want to insult the parents. I wouldn't want to insult them. And ignores moving the child off the road and saying to the parents, hey, I moved your child. No, if there's something in the way, I've got to say it. you got to be confronted. And if we're not willing to be confronted, then we will be complacent. And if we're complacent, be careful. You will hear him say, we did this in your name. We did that in your name. He says, I'm sorry. I never knew you. I never knew you because you were a doer. You did things, but you never knew me. I never knew you. You got good at doing things, but you didn't get good at stepping into the open spaces I called you to. You didn't get good at hearing my voice and walking into things. That, oh, you did things. You did things. Tell me what relationship is made good just because people do things for each other. I mean, doing is good, but by itself, that's not intimacy. That's not relationship. Do you know what intimacy is? Hey, I anticipated a need that you had, and I got something for you because I thought of you intentionally, and I did something ahead of time before it was expected, before you told me, before anything. I did this for you. It was the doing, yes, but it was more than the doing. It was I went to an open space and got there before you came. How many know what I'm talking about? I was intentional to step into an open space. Oh, you're good at doing. You can have this back. I was at the church picnic on last Monday. Feels like forever ago, but it was just last week. While I was at the church picnic, I went to my car to get a soda because I like to drink soda and so don't tell me about my problem with drinking soda because I don't want to change. (laughs) Soda. I, I say that being funny because it's all real. You don't change what you don't want to change. Anyway, forget me. <laughs> I'm walking to the, uh, to the ball field where we're about ready to play softball, where for the second year in a row, Faith Assembly beat Cross Point Assembly of God. Don't cheer that. That's not. Okay, it was cool. It was fun. Anyway, we love Cross Point. They're, 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 our, they're uh, our family, but we had a great time. I'm walking to the ball field, and as I'm walking to the ball field, I go past some trees and as I'm going past trees there are two birds nests that are laying on the ground not far from each other and I looked at that and I thought my first thought was oh man the birds 
I'm a preacher, so my mind thinks this way, so forgive me. Just ask my kids. Everything turns into a sermon. And, uh, as I'm walking past there, I begin to think, man, my first thought was, oh, poor birds, they lost their nest. But maybe it was, hey, good, they got out of the nest. Maybe there's some nests that need to fall because you've just lived your life building nests up in the tree. And you like it there. It's good. It's comfortable. Maybe God's saying to you today, no, I want to shake the tree because I didn't call you to just sit in the nest. I called you to spread your wings and fly. I called you to walk into the open spaces that I have for you. I called you to experience what I've put in your heart, what I've destined you for, what I've made you to do. I didn't make you to just sit in the nest and let mama come and regurgitate in your mouth and feed you. Sorry. Just being real. Right? I want to shake the tree and say, hey, Spread your wings. Fly. Get into the place that God has called you. Go to the open space. Go to the area that God wants to do in your life. Don't let there be a limit to what God wants to do. Reach into new places. Let Him take you. Be honorable in the possible and watch Him do the impossible. Let your life soar in God. Reach new heights. Reach new places. Go beyond 100%. Let's go to 110%. Let's watch God do something significant and supernatural in our lives. I want to confront you today. Hey, get out of the nest. Get out of the nest. Well, I like it when we do it this way. Get out of the nest. It's not about you. Well, I like it when we have it. I just want to be. I want, no. It's about honoring him and reaching a world. Get out of the nest. Okay? I love you. Get out of the nest. You've been sitting in that seat way too long. Get out of the nest. He's called you for something. He's moving you. But the longer you sit in traffic, surrounded by the people, maybe I'm saying to you today, break away from the people. You've got people in your life that are not challenging you. Listen, if you don't have people in your life who talk to you about the things of God in your life, you need to find new people. And I mean more than just what church do you go to. Can I just remind you, talking about church is not talking about Jesus. Do you hear me? I go to church. Well, let's talk about church. Let's talk about church. No, it's not church. It's Jesus Christ. If we don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, going to church won't do anything for you. It's what, what's Christ doing in you? What's Christ moving in you? Where's he pushing you? What's he doing in you? All right. Push somebody beside you. Push them. Push them. Tell them, hey, get out. Get out. Get out. How many are ready to get out? How many want to say to God in Jesus' name, I want to step out of these places I'm in. I want to believe you. I want to soar.